Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we're talking about movies, TV shows, and tons of other exciting nerd content. You're listening to episode two, and today we're talking about Tammy and the T-Rex, an amazing cult classic from 1994, starring Janice Richards and Paul Walker. When it originally released, it was rated PG-13, as it had most of its gore scenes removed. It wasn't until 2019 that Vinegar Syndrome's a restoration and distribution company found an uncut version of the film and restored all of the gore scenes. Now it's considered a rated R horror comedy, and that is the version that I watched on Amazon Prime. Now for those who aren't familiar with the film, the IMDb synapse reads, An evil scientist implants the brain of Michael, a murdered high school student, into a T-Rex. He escapes, wreaks vengeance on his high school tormentors, and is reunited with his sweetheart Tammy. While very brief of a synopsis, I find it's a bit misleading because I wouldn't describe the ending as being reunited with his sweetheart Tammy, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning, which is a bit different in the uncut, restored version of the film, as it includes the original title sequence, which reads Tanny with two ends, and the teenage T-Rex. The consensus is that it was changed at some point when post-production had already been completed, and on a low-budget film, it was simply easier to remove the title sequence, as the character's name was now Tammy, and the movie was going to be released as Tammy and the T-Rex. And it would be originally released as a PG-13 movie, with the idea that it was now more family-friendly, having had the gore scenes removed. In my opinion, that's a strange decision, because just removing the gore scenes does not make this wacky cult classic something that you would want to sit down and watch with the whole family. Now let's expand on that brief synopsis from IMDb. So as we know, the film follows Tammy, or Tanny, depending on which you prefer, played by Denise Richards, and her young boyfriend Michael, played by the very young Paul Walker, who prior to the sets of The Fast and the Furious was busy on many soap operas and B-movies like this one. And though the two yearn to be together, Tammy is more concerned about Michael's safety, as her ex-boyfriend Billy, played by George Pilgrim, who is clearly not a 30-year-old man dressed as an 18-year-old, will be insanely jealous if she's seen with anybody but him regardless of the fact that they have already broken up, and she repeatedly states that she wants nothing to do with him. Instead, this man dressed as a child, continuously shows up at her school, threatening her young boyfriend and challenging him to physical altercations, the first of which breaks out at around the three-minute marker, at which they begin to wail on each other outside of the school. Though the police do promptly arrive in the form of the inept officers Norval and Neville, who are played by Buck Flower and Ken Carpenter, whose combined effort amounts to commentating on what is clearly an adult assaulting a teenager on school property. And while the two bumbling police officers are cracking jokes, Billy and Michael have grabbed a fistful of each other's junk. Refusing to let go and beginning to twist, they fall to their knees. This prompts Officer Norval to state, Looks like we got ourselves a testicular standoff. Evidently, this sort of thing occurs regularly in these parts of town. While Michael emerges victorious from the testicular standoff, having revealed that he was coming from football practice and is in fact wearing a jockstrap, he has also successfully enraged Billy. Before he was jealous, now he's out for revenge. So the film cuts from the school and introduces the second antagonist and uh, the henchman. Uh, that work for them, uh, Dr. Watchenstein, played by Terry Kisser, and his busty, <coughs> uh, trusty assistant Helga, played by Ellen Dubin, uh, their surgical team, uh, Carl and Bobby, played by John Edmondson and John Franklin. So we're introduced to the team as the doctor is conducting experiments on his new animatronic T-Rex. And this is the focal point of the movie, the animatronic T-Rex, that uh, is, you know, 
very animatronic T-Rex from the 90s. Looks as you would expect. It's not cutting edge. It doesn't look like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Uh, it's clearly built on top of a table, and they have bay, uh, hail bays, bays of hail, um, <clears throat> hail, <laughs> bays of bales of hay in front of the front of the uh, the dinosaur because it's it's clearly built on some sort of table uh, to make it appear taller. Uh, it it uh, I think it says it's twelve feet tall, but uh, it's already raised off the ground by at least five feet maybe uh, by this platform and uh, they're performing experiments on it uh, making its eyes blink and its its head move back and forth uh, from what I've read of the behind the scenes that's all that this dinosaur can do its eyes blink and its head moves and its mouth opens and that was the basis for this entire movie so they're doing these tests and the doctor he's he's not happy uh, he wants it to have more intelligence and passion so uh, he's lamenting about its limited abilities uh, you know all it can do right now is is move up and down and move its eyes and how is he supposed to impress his investors uh, they need more and uh, you know he's he's dumping it all on on Bobby's shoulders that uh, this is not performing to par the movie cuts here and we see Tammy in her bedroom she's invited Michael over and he's sneaking in through the window alas he is seen as two teenagers drive by they immediately announce that they have to inform Billy of this outrageous event that has occurred. This is followed by a short romance scene between Tammy and Michael. They're making out on the bed uh, for a few moments before Billy shows up. He breaks into the house. He pushes past her dad, who's shouting at him that he needs to leave her alone, that they've broken up already. His uh, group of teenagers push past and they, they break into Tammy's room now and Tammy's alone. He, uh, he yells, where is he? I know he was here. Tammy says, there was nobody here. You're crazy. You need to leave me alone. But Billy pushes past her, looks out the window, and he catches a glimpse of Michael turning the corner and starting to run away. Billy and his group of teenagers run back through the house and they, they get back in their cars and they're in pursuit of Michael, who, who does a good job of weaving and dodging. Uh, there's a good pursuit, a good chase scene. And it, uh, it ends in Michael getting knocked over by the car. They, they run it into his legs. And uh, you know what, what good love triangle is without uh, some vehicular assault on a, on a minor. The, the group of hoodlums exit their vehicles. They jump out of their cars. And Billy runs over, jumps on top of Michael, and begins punching him multiple times, yelling profanities. You need to stay away from Tammy is the, the gist of it. They throw him in the trunk of the car and tell them that they're going to teach him a lesson and they drive away into the night as they're driving uh they begin asking billy what his plan is you know what he's going to do to michael and he says he has a he has a lesson in store for him so they drive through uh some gates and you see on the side that it says uh you know animal sanctuary beware and they keep driving and driving and driving and you know at this point the other teenagers are, are looking at uh, billy you know maybe a little sideways and they're thinking uh this guy's going a little too far but they're not going to say anything so they stop the car, and uh, he, he opens the trunk, throws Michael on the ground, tells him, you know, good luck, and uh, they drive away. They leave Michael behind in the animal sanctuary. Right away, Michael realizes that uh, his surroundings are unsafe. There's a jaguar up in a tree. He's hearing growling and roars and uh, some monkey sounds. You know, it sounds like he's in a jungle all of a sudden. And uh, he starts to run and is quickly uh, intercepted by a lion. The lion is closing in on him, swiping at the air, and eventually uh, 
tackles him down, jumps on him, starts mauling him. You hear Michael scream out into the night. And uh, at this point, the movie cuts. But uh, some interesting trivia, behind-the-scenes trivia about this scene, is while uh, Paul Walker obviously wasn't attacked by a lion in this scene, one of the crew members was uh, injured, minorly injured, by the jaguar that we see up in the tree. Um, Obviously, they weren't on an actual animal sanctuary, and they had the lion and they had the jaguar on set, and one of the crew members was injured by uh, the jaguar. While the crew member... Uh, sustains only minor injuries. Michael is not so lucky. He's rushed to the local hospital and uh, admitted for, quote, the most severe mauling they've ever seen. Yeah, when we see him lying in his hospital bed, bare-chested and with no bandages, uh, I I doubt the validity of that diagnosis. Yet I don't blame them. Uh, Production for this this gaffe, if you will. You have a young, gorgeous uh, Paul Walker on your set and the last thing you want to do is cover that face with bandages and so at the top of the hospital scene uh, Tammy and Byron have just arrived Uh, at the same time they're introducing Uncle Bob played by John F. Goff that's uh, Michael's legal guardian he's uh, in a drunk stupor in the corner of the hospital room and uh, he doesn't have an entire sentence in the movie he makes some drunk grunts and uh, you know sobs at the funeral but uh, that's getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so shortly after Tammy and Byron arrive, uh, Billy makes an, another appearance. Uh, clearly, he's unhappy that Michael survived and that Tammy is spending even more time with this guy. Um, but he's quickly kicked square in the groin, in the groin uh, by Tammy, and uh, he leaves, uh, you know, uttering some more threats that uh, this isn't over and that uh, he'll be back. Now, as Billy exits the hospital, Dr. Wachenstein and Helga are coming into the hospital. They introduce themselves as specialists to the nurse and uh, being the the 90s, nobody needs credentials. Nobody needs any sort form of uh, photo identification, obviously. And they walk right into Michael's room. They, uh, under a ruse of, you know, being doctors and specialists, they gather some of uh, Michael's history, his vitals. And uh, while, while doing that, Helga uh, starts to tamper with his pulse machine and they fake his death, uh, which causes both Tammy and Byron to dramatically lose consciousness. They both faint. They're unconscious on the floor. Uncle Bob is still drunk in the corner of the room. And uh, Dr. Watchenstein and Helga wheel the body away, uh, telling everybody that they're taking him to the morgue, when really they wheel the gurney out into the, into the driveway, the parking lot area, and uh, take his body away. Though Michael does wake up for a moment, uh, he's coming out of his coma, and uh, Helga, reacting quickly, punches him out, to which uh, Dr. Watchenstein tells her how resourceful she is. And so by this point in the film, we haven't really seen any of the reestablished shots. Um, the film has been pretty PG-13, uh, an awkward, wacky PG-13 um, that I still wouldn't describe as family-friendly, but definitely not gory. Uh, and that's all about to change. So I, uh, I believe the first reestablished shot is coming up in moments. They, they return to their laboratory, which is very Frankenstein. Uh, they have the wrong equipment. It's not medical equipment. It's power tools. Um, they, they have very few of the, the proper equipment. It's all very outlandish, scientific you know, equipment, paranormal equipment, if you will, uh, paras- para- paranormal, no, um, parascience, uh, pseudoscience, pseudoscience, that's, that's what I was looking for, it's, it's pseudoscience, that sound was me snapping my fingers, um, 
so they, they, they put Michael's body on the gurney and they pull out their buzzsaw, um, which is supersized. It's it's way too big. If they were to actually cut off the top of his head, um, they would have clean cut right through his brain. They'd have two pieces of brain. Uh, instead, they, they cut all the way around it and the corn syrup with red food coloring starts flying. Carl uh, looks like he's about to throw up and they they go all the way around they plop off his head and they pull out a beautiful prop beautiful prop brain that is not cut in half as it should be because that's always way too big um they take the brain over to their um t-rex controlling contraption which looks like a bubbling bowl of jello green jello with some jumper cables they connect the brain and uh you know through poking it through a series of pokes the t-rex moves miraculously and the doctor shouts he has his frankenstein moment it's alive we've we've done it we've broken the barriers of science and uh in another uh, re-established shot and i know this one for a fact um because uh the doctor tells carl and bobby to finish the procedure and put michael's brain inside the dinosaur now this is a re-established shot because in the trivia the trivia states that michael's brain is never inside the t-rex it's never explicitly stated or shown and thus they um they said that it was a plot hole and that michael controlled the t-rex through a form of telepathy uh from that bubbling bowl of green jello but no in this in this uncut version released in 2019 uh we clearly hear uh, that uh, Dr. Watchenstein tells Carl and Bobby to finish the procedure, uh, which they do. And it includes a lot of blood and guts and gore and it's easily understandable on why that scene was removed when trying to bring the rating down to PG-13. Though I am curious if it was ever mentioned to anyone at the studio that the scenes being removed would create such large plot holes. Though now that the uncut version has been released, the story has been put back together, and we know that Michael's brain is in fact inside the T-Rex, where he immediately becomes sentient and begins his path of destruction. And the first unsuspecting victim of Dino Mike is the poor sap Bobby, who was left behind to do all the dirty work and has his head ripped off in a fairly spectacular display of low-budget practical effects. Uh, followed quickly by Carl, who tries to defend himself by stating that he's a black belt and doing some fist pumps and karate kicks in the direction of a 12-foot 12-foot dinosaur who responds by kicking him clean through a door and then stepping on him um, slowly from the waist uh, all the way up to the head and flattening him into a pancake. During the, the scene, during Carl's death, uh, we get our first instance of actual CGI uh, VFX uh, over practical. Um, there's a small amount, there's a bit of a blend uh, in this cult classic, and the CGI is just, is arguably terrible. Um, there was no reason to use it. The practical effects, uh, while low budget and campy and, and laughably hilarious, um, are still so much better than that 1994 CGI, 1993 probably uh, when they were actually making the movie um, and to put it in perspective the practical effects are just you know people wearing gloves or or pants that have been you know designed with scales and big claws and it's it's big and oversized and floppy but it's more hilarious and looks better uh, you know even now in 2022 uh, than any of those uh, very short instances of CGI did. 
Now, after the demise of Bobby and Carl, uh, there's a very funny short scene where Dino Mike scares an old lady uh, off of a payphone, and then he uses his tiny T-Rex arms to dial a payphone and try to call Tammy. And uh, despite the fact that she doesn't answer the phone uh, and that we don't know her phone number, uh, we know that it's Tammy because the camera cuts and pans to her room, uh, which in case you didn't remember exactly what her room looks like, there is a page-size printout of a photo of her lying about in her room. Something that I assume all teenage girls did in the 90s was print out page-sized photos of themselves and leave them around their own room um, for just this occasion. So Dino Mike is trying to call her on the payphone. Uh, when Tammy doesn't answer the phone, um, Dino Mike growls, he curls his upper lip, and uh, he's angry. Um, and he goes to plan B, because clan, uh, clan, uh, plan A was to call Tammy, and plan B was to murder everybody that got him into this situation. How convenient is it for him that all the local teenagers happen to be at a nighttime pool party that is also within walking distance of the doctor's warehouse because he makes it there in no time flat, and I assume that the walking speed of a dinosaur is not that fast. So the party scene opens, and there are a lot of middle-aged people pretending to be teenagers dancing around a pool tammy and byron are there they're trying to have a good time you know they're both pretty sad uh michael's dead to their knowledge at this point and of course billy's there he's trying to you know mac on uh mac on tammy and get her back she shuts him down she doesn't want anything to do with him and finally he's had enough and it's a party you know he's gonna go get himself some you know some actions he's gonna meet some other girl and of course he does. He finds somebody to hook up with. They mosey away from the party and find a secluded car uh, to start hooking up in. And it's at this point that Dino Mike uh, shows up. He makes his way to the party. And uh, the first character that notices him, that notices the dinosaur, is um, Weasel, played by Sean Whalen. And he's actually been in the movie the whole time. He's one of the young hoodlums, the, the gang members that's been hanging around with Billy. And he's the first to die at the party. He gets his chest slashed open and it cuts to a scene of him holding his uh, what's supposed to be his intestines but it looks more like um, uh, smoked meat or hamburger helper to me uh, he's the first to die and uh, before anybody really notices anything um, Dino Mike has a chance to uh, to walk up to Billy and this new girl that he's found um, which turns out to be a poor choice for her not only is Billy a psychopath uh, who torments all of his girlfriends that, that we know of um, she also gets eaten by uh, Dino, Dino Mike uh, he rips her leg off and, and you see blood splatter all over the ground and Bobby, Billy <laughs> Bobby's the character that died earlier Billy is the psychopathic ex-boyfriend billy runs away from the car uh screaming into the party there's a dinosaur there's a dinosaur why are you all partying can't you see there's a dinosaur over there people are dying uh nobody takes him seriously and uh it sets up a great shot of uh him standing outside of a tent and there's a whole group of people inside the tent and you just see uh billy in the the entrance exit of the tent you know you can't see anything else you can see the sides on it and you just see the uh you see dino mike his head comes down and it closes on each side of Billy and it pulls him up and his head is ripped off just like just like Bobby was essentially I guess um, you know Dino Mike has gotten a taste for uh, ripping off people's heads in another uh, spectacular display of low budget practical effects um, clearly the head is made out of 
paper mache and uh, the blood is corn syrup, red corn syrup. Uh, it's more of a fluid. It doesn't really have the right viscosity, um, but it's flying everywhere. And this scene actually reminds me a lot of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, there's a very similar scene in it, the, the party massacre where Freddy shows up and then kills all the kids at the, at the party. And uh, I, I truly believe that this is an inspiration for this movie. Uh, even though it's a comedy horror movie, I, I think that there's some clear parallels happening here. Uh, the way that the kids are being killed, they're running around, it's a pool party. Uh, it's very, very similar. Now, once the pool party wraps up, there's about half an hour left in the film and the pace really picks up as uh, there's a lot that still needs to be explained. Uh, we cut quickly back to Dr. Watchenstein and Helga as they're discovering the bodies of Carl and Bobby. Uh, Helga immediately starts to roll up Carl's pancake body. At one point she stops to lick her fingers, which is hilarious. Um, obviously it's like red corn syrup or something, but in the context of the movie, it's quite disturbing. Uh, she just like smiles and licks her fingers and continues to roll up the, the dead Carl. At one point she just starts to like drag him behind her. And uh, she, she says, uh, she's one of the best lines, uh, feeling a little flat today, are you Carl? And so Dr. Watchenstein just tells uh, Helga to uh, forget about the bodies. It doesn't matter. Don't bother cleaning up. We've broken the boundaries of science and we'll be immortalized. And uh, it doesn't matter. Bobby and Carl don't matter. So it cuts uh, here back to Tammy and she's getting ready for Michael's funeral. Uh, it's the day of his funeral now. And at this point, she still doesn't know that uh, Michael's brain has been removed and put in a, in a dinosaur body. But that's about to change. So the whole house starts to shake while she's getting ready. You know, she putting her makeup on and uh very very drastic park the whole house starts to shake uh because michael's climbing the side of it and in the background uh you see uh his head appear in the window and when she turns she she screams and faints and uh it cuts back downstairs to dad whose name is just dad um he's played by ken chandler and he uh he looks upstairs and says uh did you hear something and his wife says uh, i don't think so and she's like i'm pretty sure i heard uh, tammy scream so they they run upstairs and they knock on the door and when they open the door it's just like a bunch of strewn furniture and the window is open and apparently the 12 foot tall dinosaur went in through the window picked tammy up in his tiny t-rex arms and then somehow carried her out the window which is clearly not wide enough for that T-Rex to fit through. There's like a lamp hanging out the window, candle knocked over. Uh, it was a much smaller dinosaur that went through that window. Uh, apparently, uh, the dino Mike has the ability to shrink down and fit through any window uh, he needs to in a jiffy. It's, it's one of his unwritten superpowers. So after displaying his amazing ability to shrink down, Michael uses his other ability to move at super speeds because they cut to an abandoned barn that seems to be in the middle of nowhere when moments ago they were in a suburb. And so Tammy's still unconscious. Michael's just doting over her. He's just waiting for her to wake up. And, uh, you know, finally she rouses and uh, she's, she's taken aback. There's a T-Rex, you know, standing over her. But uh, she realizes he's not trying to eat her. He's not trying to kill her. Uh, he's trying to communicate with her. And he's using his tiny T-Rex arms and his two claws on each hand to play charades. He's uh, pointing at her bracelet and then at, at himself and then at her. And, and he keeps repeating it. And then uh, she realizes, she's like, she's like, well, my, my boyfriend gave me this bracelet. Uh, my boyfriend, Michael. And then he points at himself. She's like, you do you know Michael? And then he just keeps pointing at himself and the bracelet. And then, and then he points at his head. She's like, brain. She's like, Michael's brain. And then all of a sudden, she's just like, you you have Michael's brain. You're Michael. 
And, and I'm saying, if I ever have to play charades, I want Tammy on my team because that that's amazing. She went from A to Z in no time flat. She went from a dinosaur with his tiny T-Rex arm pointing at a bracelet and then pointing at his head and then pointing at her to you're Michael and you gave me this bracelet. Those are some amazing charade skills. After this display of amazing charade skills, we find ourselves back at Tammy's house and dad is uh, standing outside and the, the police chief is there, Sheriff Black, and uh, Byron is also there uh, to his chagrin. Uh, you know, he doesn't want his kid around. He's, uh, you know, spreading all these rumors about dinosaurs, um, but they're making, uh, they're taking a measurement. It looks like they're taking a measurement from Tammy's window to, to the driveway and uh, they approximate that it's 12 feet. This is how we know that the dinosaur is 12 feet and uh, from that that single measurement, that that highly trained detective skill measurement, they deduce that it is the, in fact the same perpetrator, um, because apparently, I don't know, the measurements from the last murder also had a twelve feet involved. It was it was a twelve foot murder. Um, I don't know. Okay. So while they're taking these important measurements, you know, dad is you know, demanding answers and Byron is, you know, demanding answers and everybody's unhappy. And then just out walks Tammy and she's just like, I thought it was a meteorite. I went to check out in the field and, uh, you know, she fills in Byron very quickly, you know, tells him to act cool. It's Dino Mike and uh, they're going to go to the funeral and she has a plan. And across the street, we see Dr. Watchenstein and Helga. And uh, Dr. Watchenstein is saying that, you know, it's only a matter of time before the dinosaur, the T-Rex will, you know, come and make contact, not realizing that they've already made contact, but uh, they're super certain it'll be soon. Finally, we're at Mike's funeral and there's a priest and he's giving a little speech and you see all the, the characters. You got Byron and Tammy and drunk Uncle Bob who's blubbering to himself. And if you look over in the corner behind the priest, you can actually see Michael is kind of blurred. He's, his head's popping out behind the hedge, something that only Tammy seems to notice, even though Dr. Watchenstein and Helga are just off to the side and, and Helga is just arriving in a big yellow dump truck, uh, presumably for, for Michael once they've captured him. When Helga arrives with the big truck and they're watching the funeral, it's finally at this point, with less than 10 minutes left in the movie, that uh, Dr. Watchenstein finally reveals like what the whole point of this was. He's, you know, he has these investors, he, he took a, you know, a teenager's mind and a brain and put it in this T-Rex, and what it was all for was uh, immortality. They, he's looking out at these people, and uh, he, he starts saying uh, his, his evil monologue. He's like, we're going to put all of these people out of business, no more fake tears, no more sniveling, we'll give everybody a robot body. We'll take their brains, we'll put them in robot bodies. We'll have a whole collection. We'll have boys, girls, little doggy bodies. He's like, we'll sell more little doggy bodies than, than people. People people love their pets more than they love them, themselves and each other. You'll, you'll see, you'll see. And so that's his master plan, to become immortal in a robot body, uh, presumably a dinosaur body for unknown reasons, and to become rich and famous for having cracked uh, the code of science and death and that people will now be able to live forever. Now, while they're watching the funeral, uh, everybody starts to disperse and Uncle Bob is blubbering in the corner and he stumbles off and Tammy and Byron linger and uh, they hatch their plan. Their brilliant plan is to jump into the, the hole and open the coffin so that they can take Michael's body and put his brain back in it. You know, having no medical experience or training, uh, they're just going to pop open the T-Rex and jam his brain back in his body. Now, the plan goes off really 
poorly because the moment that they open the coffin, his once gorgeous, beautiful young body of Paul Walker is now a bloated, rotted corpse prop with maggots and, you know, rats all over it. And they start running up Tammy's dress and she screams and jumps out of the grave. While they were opening the grave, Michael, you know, waddles over in his, you know, big dinosaur body, and this is when he reveals himself. And uh, Doctor Watchenstein and Helga run over, and they grab, you know, Byron and Tammy, and they they threaten their lives. They want Michael to surrender, or they're going to kill them. Uh, but they're standing too close to the grave, and with a little bit of shoving and pushing, everybody topples over. And Byron and uh, Tammy, they have the upper hand, and instead of just running away. They strangely decide to tie up Helga and Dr. Watchenstein and take them with them. And they use the, the yellow dump truck that, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's a yellow dump truck. Um, the dump truck that Helga brought to transport Michael now. It's much easier. He doesn't have to use his super speed anymore for the rest of the movie. Which brings them to plan B, which is to go to the morgue and look for any body or cadaver that is in there and just, you know, take Michael's brain and shove it back into one of these bodies, which leads to the best uh, body parade as Byron and Tammy uh, work together to hold bodies up to the window so that Michael from the dump truck can use his little T-Rex arm and like, you know, pontificate, put it up against his chin and like scratch his little forehead and shake his head back and forth on. You know, he doesn't like that body. He doesn't like that body. And uh, before they can settle on a body, uh, they see Dr. Watchenstein and Helga just hopping their way out of the um, the cab, like the front of the, the, the truck. And they're just like hopping away to freedom. And they hop right into the convenient officer, Norval and Neville, who, before they can offer any sort of assistance, are taken aback by the giant yellow dump truck that passes by with Michael standing out of the back using his tiny T-Rex arm to basically flip off uh, the good doctor and his assistant. And Norval and Neville are like, oh my god, it, it really is a T-Rex. And without, uh, again, without offering any assistance, because they're completely useless, they just jump back in their police vehicle and spin off to uh, to pursue Michael and, and the kids, the trio. And uh, th this, is, this is one of the best lines at this point because they're still tied up. Uh, you know, they use their hands to remove the duct tape from each other's mouth. And uh, Dr. Watchenstein just says to Helga, chew my rope and she just like lowers out of the camera angle and starts <laughs> and the subtitle at that point just says growls and if that's not family friendly content that is perfect for a pg-13 movie i don't know what that studio was thinking this is really the beginning of the final act. Uh, Michael and the trio are in a pursuit. The, the cops are after them, and uh, they're going down the road, and the cops manage to do a maneuver that forces the truck off the road. They go through a cornfield. They end up at, again, another abandoned barn, somewhat different from the first two, and they hold up inside. Michael's hidden away. The police have all drawn their weapons on the killer T-Rex, and Tammy is desperately trying to explain that, no, you know, he he didn't mean to do this. It's Michael. Don't kill him. And and nobody believes her, obviously. She's a teenager. They don't believe that this this robot has a has a human brain in it. It's just a out-of-control robot that is killing teenagers. This is when Dr. Watchenstein and Helga catch up with the group. Uh, at this point, Norval states, Hey, it's that doctor and that lanky bitch again. Excellent police skills, Norval. Excellent police skills. 
So the doctor comes out with his giant trank gun, um, to which he says, don't worry, they just don't make small trank guns. And uh, he tries to pass off the, the ruse that it's a out-of-control robot, but it's a top-secret project, and uh, that there's so much at stake here, you know, national security, that they just have to go in and take out the robot, and everybody will be okay. Uh, Byron points out the fact that if it's just a robot, why do they need a trank gun? But nobody you know you don't need logic in a time of a crisis um so the police his dad the uh, sheriff black gives the the good the good doctor the good evil doctor the green lights to go into the where into the the warehouse the the barn and so dr watchenstein and helga they slowly approach the barn and it's, it's the final showdown right it's a uh, man versus his maker and uh or in this case t-rex versus his maker and they slowly approach and uh they quickly misfire the the trank gun and obviously they know that this is it dino mike he makes his appearance and he rips out the middle of uh, dr watchenstein's chest and helga screams she's covered in in fake blood and the, the you know the tasty corn syrup from before and she screams and she runs out and as she's running out at some point her her tight black mini skirt that looks like pleather got completely hiked up and she's running and jumping through the air at this point out of the barn and she's pulling with both hands she's pulling the skirt down over her butt cheeks and at this point it's become almost like slow motion because this is when the, the cops open fire because the doctor just died and so you see her in like slow motion jumping through the air pulling her leather skirt down over her butt cheeks and this just the entire scene is just absolutely amazing it's it's completely hilarious and just so well done for for a low budget movie you can you can easily tell why this is a cult classic uh, this movie just culminated in such an amazing scene that I, I really didn't expect and so it's the end of the movie and dino mike is riddled with bullets he's laying on the ground tammy throws her arms around him and she's she's distraught and it looks to be the end of the film but but all is not as it seems it fades out and it comes back and you see tammy driving up to her house and she makes her way up to her room and uh we see the the green bowl of jello uh the high-tech science machine with michael's brain in it and he's connected to a home video camera and a speaker system and he seems to have survived they were able to get his brain out again i don't know which doctor or who was able to do this but somehow they saved it and hooked it up to this entire system and then the the final scene is probably the weirdest and most unexpected from this whole movie tammy re-enters her room wearing a stripper's lingerie outfit and begins a dance number where she slowly starts removing pieces of this outfit while paul walker um is speaking uh, in, in a way he's you know he's speaking through his brain into the speaker and watching from the video camera that he's been hooked up to and this is the end of the movie uh you hear him exclaiming how amazing it is and how he waited all day to see her and that's where the movie ends we get a we get a credit roll after that and the very first credit in that credit roll is for tanny not tammy which a lot of people had originally thought was a error in production but as it turns out in the uncut restored version was just the original name of the movie and I have a couple remaining points of trivia that we hadn't yet discussed. Um, when speaking in an interview, the director, Stuart Raffle, said the idea for the movie only came up because he was approached by a man who owned some movie theaters in South America and that he currently had at his disposal an animatronic T-Rex, the, the same animatronic T-Rex that we see in the movie. Uh, he had it for one month and that they needed to start filming immediately. So uh, Stuart Raffle is also the writer of the movie, and he sat down and they wrote the movie in a week. 
they had a week to write the entire script and as soon as the script was done they started filming and shortly after they started filming there was a large fire um, within the proximity of most of the sets um, because another thing was that all the sets were within 20 minutes of where the director lived to make it super easy and so that it was more affordable so this fire that was in the neighborhood um, actually attributed a lot of smoke to some of the scenes that you see throughout the movie and i thought that was really funny and interesting and the final piece of interesting trivia is that while the two main actors, Denise Richards and Paul Walker, would obviously go on to have very good careers, it was also the debut film for Poppy Montgomery. She was one of the party girls in the background uh, during the uh, pool party massacre. Uh, she would go on to be on FBI and uh, Without a Trace and have a lot of very big roles in TV. And to think it all started with a role in a cult classic movie as Party Girl Number 1. So that was Tammy and the T-Rex. I really enjoyed this film. It's a really good cult classic, and I totally understand why. The practical effects over the choice of uh, CGI, when at a time that uh, CGI was pretty popular, um, but on a budget and on a, on a smaller B-movie, the practical effects were a much better choice. Totally adds to the, uh, the cult classic, the longevity of the movie, because even in, in 2022, uh, the scenes were amazing. There were scenes where I was like, I was shocked. I was like, wow, that was, that was gory. You know, there was a lot of corn syrup flying through the air, and it looked amazing. It's Still looked amazing to this day. I wouldn't say the acting is amazing, but it's it's passable. It's pretty funny. Uh, some of it's over the top. Uh, Paul Walker's in it, but not not for very long. He's he's only in maybe the first twenty minutes of the movie, and then it's really Dino Mike uh, that's controlling, you know, supposedly controlling this animatronic. And then you just hear his voice at the end of the movie. Uh, it's really carried by more Byron and Tammy, so Denise Richards and Theo Forsett. Uh, there's a lot of the cops, uh, you know, um, Sheriff Black, J.J. Saunders. Uh, you get a lot of Sean uh, Whalen too at the beginning. Weasel, he plays uh, Billy's right-hand man. Uh, that was uh, played by George Pilgrim. That was the psychotic boyfriend. I, I really liked all of their performances. It was uh, it was a really good movie. It was a good good B movie. Considering that they only had a week to write the script, they started filming within the same week, and they had a month total to make the entire production and then do everything else in edit and post-production. It's amazing how great the movie came out. And in you know, if we were going to do a comparison to the movie from episode one, um, uh, Theodore Rex, uh, you know that movie had a sixty million dollar budget and had a whole team of people working on the script and screenplays and drafts. And it's amazing how that movie could become such a big flop and you know have accolades for being one of the most expensive, um, terrible movies ever made. And then you can compare it to this um, B-movie, this cult classic that had uh, infamously, infinitesimally smaller budget but did such a better job with what they were given is uh, is a miracle in, in some regards. It's, it's a miracle what they were able to perform and what they were able to pull off. And that really wraps up my review of Tammy and the T-Rex. I really enjoyed it. And uh, something that I hit on in uh, the last episode was don't yuck my yum. And uh, it, this goes both ways. So, you know, if I, I enjoyed this movie and if you didn't, uh, that's totally a valid opinion and vice versa. We're not we're not trying to convince each other to uh, like all the same movies. Uh, our opinions matter. And my opinion is that I really like this movie uh, from every aspect of how I judge a movie, cinematography, writing, acting, um, the production value in the the practical effects it was all there this movie really delivered 
that wraps up this episode of the Nerd Review. You're listening to episode two, the Nerd Review of Tammy and the T-Rex. I hope you've enjoyed episode two, and I, I want to thank everybody that listened to episode one, and I, I hope you've enjoyed episode two, that there's been improvements, and I hope everybody will be coming back for episode three. We're going to be covering the TMNT Game Boy Advance game from 2003. There'll be a video component, and this one will also be available on YouTube. And I will be covering not just TMNT, this video game, but also TMNT history in general. Uh, We'll go into the comic books, the video games, and the new upcoming movie as well. So until next time, this is the Nerd Review signing off.